Well, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me again for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is three tips for staying focused at work. We're also going to be having our chat with Christina on innovation, and we'll be looking at what type of business are you really part of which is an interesting subject to explore. But right now we're going to walk go over to uh, Craig McGregor at the Hunter Recruitment Group and talk about reference checking. Good afternoon, Craig. G'day, Julian. You sound just as healthy as I do today. Yeah, I think we both got that man flu, haven't we? Man flu. Half your audience won't appreciate it, but, yeah, we're fighting through. At least it doesn't come through the, uh, the, the air, that airwave. We're not passing it on to anybody. So talking about reference checking, is it still useful? Yeah, look, it's a good question, isn't it? That um, you know, I've been in this game for a long time, and, and reference checking has always been a big part of recruitment and HR. And look, I still think it's useful. It just depends on how you use it, I suppose. That um, technology is coming into play, and and what information you're getting out of reference checking. It, is it a buy sell? Is it a yes or no decision making um, tool or is it a, a management tool? Is it something you use when you've got information about a new coming employee that you can then put into place to help manage that person? So, so you've mentioned reference, uh, tech, technical coming into play. How, how does that, has it changed? Yeah, well I think, look, you know, technology and automation is coming into every industry and I was a little bit um, taken back recently. We, we obviously in our business hire staff and uh, I'm sorry, employee staff, and, and we had uh, a reference check from a, a larger organisation come through on a, on my mobile with a essentially just a text message to say, can you validate person X worked for your company from this date to this date? Now, yes, I can, but that gives them minimal information around, you know, did they work well? Did they turn up on time? Did they get on well with other staff? Were they easy to train? What was their cultural fit? All those different things that, you know, a standard or, or um, old school reference check via phone or face-to-face can get that sort of information. So, yeah, it's, I suppose it's how businesses and, and individuals are using reference checking that um, may be impa- impactful on, on the recruitment process that I fear. So, so uh, are we just validating that these particular people work for us for a, an organisation, or is it looking at cultural fits? Yeah, and that's that's sort of the point that I'm making. That you can go down that path of just ticking the boxes. Did they work? Yes. What was their job title? Yes. We can do those things. And look, that's a, a good tool or a good indicator that you know you're validating what's on their resume, validating the dates, all those things. And look, there are great organisations in Newcastle that do professional reference checking where they'll do employment, uh, sorry, educational validation for you or they'll do you know, criminal history or bankruptcy checks and those sorts of things to, to make sure if it's a driving type role, they'll go through and have a look at their licence to see if they've still got valid points to be able to drive a vehicle, you know, those sorts of things. So it's about the, the role that you're recruiting for, but you know me and I've spoken on your program a few times, I still think there's a real need or a real value in asking those questions around cultural fit what was the person like to work with you know give us three words that would describe them as an individual how did they get on with workmates those sorts of questions and again then you can use it as a yes or no decision making process or well now we know that Julian likes to work in this method um, we can use that to our advantage when we employ Julian 
So, uh, from your experience, do you find people actually do uh, are checking references, or is it uh, you know it, it, when they do the employment themselves, are they things that they go into, or they just scan over it? Yeah, look, from my experience, the small employers that aren't using us as a recruitment agency and doing it direct themselves aren't doing reference checking, and it's a it's a risk that they're running. No. Um, it's also uh, you get caught in the trap of oh, we hired this person because their friend who works for us has recommended them. Well, mm. that's kind of a reference. So, you know, I can give you an example of an organisation we worked with a few years back that had an individual that had, had basically defrauded their organisation and, and taken money through their accounts department. Um, yeah, they hired their replacement themselves, and I just said, please, please, please tell me you're going to reference check them before you uh, put this person on because you've just had this happen to you. And and uh, I remember distinctly them saying, oh, no, they, they come through our friends. They should be right. Well, they yeah, would. Lesson not, lesson not learnt. <laughs> so, okay, so if I'm now a candidate putting in my uh, uh, job application, what referees should I be putting on my resume? Yeah, look, and this is something that I think has become a little bit more strategic over the last decade or so. You know, back in the old days, you just note three referees and, and move on your way. But I think if you think about it from a candidate perspective, remember that recruitment is a bit of a sales process. You want to make sure, so if Julian's going for a job in, in sales, for example, and you've got Craig and Amy as your referees, and Craig really knows how great you are at sales, but Amy really understands you more as an administration type person, well, you want them to talk to Craig because Craig's going to sell you more effectively and understand the sales component of your background, which will be what the employer, potential employer, wants to hear about. So that's the strategy around that candidate piece, that if you can put on your resume available on request, understand that you're applying for lots of different roles, well, the one that I'm at the reference checking point with, who are the best two people, three people in my list of referees that I can put forward that are going to sell me most effectively? Often people want to check the uh, their previous boss as a reference, but uh, if a person leaves uh, you know, with a bit of a disagreement with the boss, yep. does that happen sometimes, doesn't it? Absolutely. And so that's, again, as the employer or as the recruiter, you've got to take those things into consideration that it's to every story so you may hear about one side of the story and and look it's, it's always difficult to if someone so julian's currently employed by two and you are do we really want to impact his employment uh current employment to talk to people at two and you are so they go oh, hang on julian's looking for work we didn't realize that so there's a fine line there as well but yeah it's, it is always an issue of terms of talking to someone where there's been a bit of a negative experience and it comes back down to doing the rest of the recruitment process to feel comfortable that the new employee that you're going to be working with fits your culture, fits the skill sets that you're looking for. And we talked earlier about uh, technical reference, and of course uh, uh, these days social media plays a big part in our lives. Uh, are employees, employers using social media as part of their reference checking? Absolutely. Um, we have a number of organisations that have come back to us with uh, you know, requests not to interview candidates because they've jumped on and checked out their Facebook page or Twitter account or whatever it might be. So I think just as individuals, we've got to be really mindful of what we're posting because it's a part of our personal brand and that may impact your ability to be employed down the track. So, um, you know what? It, 
can be a positive. You know, if you're going to an organisation where, um, you know, a fun lifestyle partying atmosphere is positive and that's what your personal brand is on your um, social media platforms, then that could be a positive. But I think you really need to be mindful of what you're posting because it could come back to bite you in the, in the long run. Right. Well, thanks for your time, Craig, this afternoon. Uh, you better take the rest of the afternoon off and relax. Oh, I'll tell the boss. Cheers. <laughs> so talk to you again. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Craig McGregor there with uh, reference checking. Yeah, very important. And it's amazing that a lot of businesses don't do it and just accept things at face value. So it's important uh, to go down if you're employing someone. We'll pop over and have a chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. And uh, we're going to talk about what are you in the business of? Yes, it's a topic that's raised its head at a couple of workshops and with a couple of clients um, over the past week. So I thought it might be something interesting to talk about. And if we can start by saying one of the most commonly used examples of this um, theory or practice or whatever we want to label it, um, is the Kodak and the Instagram story. So Kodak had developed the first digital camera uh, and they were, um, you know, but had not developed it, thought that it was going to take away from what they considered their main business, which was um, chemicals for photography and for photographic paper. So in their minds, their core business was photographic paper, chemicals, and that's how they would make their money. Right, and then Instagram came along, and Instagram, you know, was a, a free kind of uh, service for taking photos and posting up photos. Uh, and it was um, it was a, a a company that was bought for a billion dollars at the end of at the end of the day. Kodak ended up going broke because they didn't develop the digital camera. Uh, and people often use the the example of well. Kodak actually weren't in the business of paper and chemicals. Had they really looked at it, they would, would have realised they were in the business of creating memories. Mm. And that's why mm. Instagram was successful. They made, they, you know, their whole thing was capture your memories and post them here and share them with other people. So this has come up with a couple of different businesses this week. And we developed up a, a more uh, modern, more, more uh, current I guess, example of this. So we do um, some work with an organisation who has developed the product for NRMA called the NRMA Fire Blanket. And if you ask people what NRMA are in the business of, most people will say insurance, you know, car insurance, home insurance, etc. And we're starting to question what NRMA are in the business of. And luckily for NRMA, they're questioning, questioning yeah, it as well. Yeah. Yeah, so what, what they're actually in the business of, if you look at it carefully, is they're in the business of protecting um, and creating safety, right? There's a safety net for people in their insurance and they're creating this safety blanket for people um, in, in a whole lot of circumstances. So insurance we know is going to change as well. So, the, you know, we've got companies like Volvo who are saying that they're going to self-insure all their self-driving cars. So NRMA have come up with a product called Fire Blanket and Fire Blanket sensors smoke in remote areas and what mm. that will eventually do is it sends a signal back to a to a fire station the fire is going and check out um the smoke and whether it's there's any danger immediately not wait until it approaches a community threatens homes lives houses and all the angst that comes along with you know all these houses that have been burnt down lately in fires um people losing their entire possessions being displaced some people not being insured um, it, that whole concept of loss and grief that comes in situations like that. So NRMA are going, if we can prevent that, that's what we're in the business of. We're in the business mm. of providing safety and providing 
risk-free and providing protection as much as we can. Mm. So if you ask yourselves as a business what you are actually in the business of, you have already start coming up with the next iteration, the next product development, the next business development ideas to take your business forward. And, of course, it also lets you focus on uh, opportunities that you might not follow uh, because we can take it right the way back to the days of the uh, um, um, the. Uh, coaches the horse-drawn coaches and then along came the trains and then along came yep. aeroplanes um, and people were f- focusing in on I'm in, the, I'm in the train business rather than I'm in the business of transporting people from A to B. That's right yeah and, and you know the other example is the, um, the fishing, the, fishing the, the shipping containers that used to ship um, ice as a, as a protective um, as a preservative and they were also shipping um, products like turmeric. And turmeric was actually um, a herb, apart from its thousands of other benefits, but it was a preservative. And instead of just saying we're in the spice business and here's the turmeric, had they said we, we are in the preservation business and the ice companies then did not go broke because they, you know, they, had to, they lost the momentum with shipping ice to preserve foods, another business potentially may have been saved. So it's that whole... Like, it's not old, you know, as we keep saying. There's nothing really new, um, but it's the way that we need to, to flip our thinking to create opportunities, as you say, for future business development. And, you know, come back to the 80-20 rule, 20% of your business time needs to be focused on moving forward. Fantastic, yeah. All right, well, thanks for your time again. We'll have a chat with you again next week. Look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with uh, looking at what are you in the business of and I know that it's been explored many times over the years as we said right back to the days of the uh, horse and cart coaches. Uh, Time for Harvard Business Review tip. This one here is three tips for staying focused at work. If you don't know this by now, our constant access to data is killing our productivity. Too many of us begin the day by picking up our phones and getting lost in a stream of notification and information. Here are three things you can do to carve out more time for yourself and remain focused and effective at work. Firstly, start your day off right. <coughs> Excuse me. When you wake up, don't roll over and start checking email on your phone. Try a simple mindfulness practice. Take a few deep breaths and make a mental list of the things you're grateful for. Secondly, organise your day. Take advantage of your body's natural rhythms. Focus on complex creative tasks in the morning. Push meetings to the afternoon. And finally, tidy up. A clean work environment leads to less cluttered mind. Put everything in a drawer. Create folders on your computer desktop to get rid of all those random files. And on your phone, keep only 8 to 10 most important apps on your home screen. Turn off all the unnecessary notifications. We do often get uh, uh, bombarded with all of those notifications, don't we? We've just got time for one other. Take time to discuss your company's culture. Company culture can feel hard to control, which is why many leaders avoid deliberately creating it. But you just can't let culture happen. In fact, companies should be as intentional about culture as they are about strategy and business model innovation. To become more systematic about culture design, you need to have tough conversations about what your current culture is and what your ideal culture looks like. 
Then you can work to bring two, the two close together. Start these discussions by focusing on three elements. First of all, outcomes, the things that you want and don't want your culture to achieve. Secondly, behaviours, the visible part of your culture, the positive or negative actions people perform every day that result in outcomes. And finally, enablers and blockers, the formal or informal policies, rituals, actions and rules that enable or block your culture. They're the elements that truly help you achieve your desired culture. So a couple of interesting comments there from Harvard Business Review. And I thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, the importance of reference checking with Craig McGregor from Hunter Recruitment Group. And we've also looked at what are you in the business of with Christina. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk about commercial motor vehicle insurance law with John Woodward, who's a, a sessional lecturer with the University of Newcastle. We'll have another chat with Christina about innovation and some more business and legal news and views which might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and, as Zig Ziglar once said, if people like you, they'll listen to you. But if they trust you, they'll do business with you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.